Our first scripture tonight comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Second scripture is Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the word of God. All right, good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Okay, a few of you guys are doing okay. Uh, Hey, my name is Prentice Park. I am uh, the lead pastor for our Bethany West Seattle location. Uh, And I am so excited to be here with you to share God's word. Uh, And so I'm always excited when I get invited uh, to speak here uh, with you lovely people. Uh, Now, as you all know, we had a pretty big week as a nation, didn't we? Yeah, and, and I know with that news, there's a lot of mixed emotions involved, and, and there's a lot of things going on, but I just want to make uh, one thing clear, uh, is that tonight, this sermon that I will be preaching is, is not about politics. As a matter of fact, it'll transcend uh, politics, uh, and, and it's not a rebuke or a, an affirmation of who you voted for or who you did not vote for. That's not what, uh, what my job is, I believe, uh, and nor what I want to talk about tonight. But what I do want to talk about is kind of the aftermath uh, of this week, uh, especially of Tuesday. That no matter where you are on the spectrum or who you voted for, uh, one thing is clear, that our country is divided. Uh, pretty much in half. And and because of that, again, no matter what side of the spectrum you are, uh, there should be an element of lament because of the brokenness in our country. Now, I know that it's not just our country that is divided in half, uh, but it's also our state, our our city, our own neighborhood. And, And let's be honest, there's even division, even amongst our own family members and friends. There's brokenness, there's division, and there's anger. And and that's a part of what I want to talk about tonight. The pain, the fear, the anxiety. Conversely, uh, again, this is mixed emotions. Conversely, after this Tuesday, there's there's emotions of joy and and triumph, uh, of relief. And even on the radio this morning, I heard this idea, uh, someone describing this week as a week of vindication. And others, apathy, which is dangerous in its own right. 
And even before the election even was over, I heard this many times, and maybe you heard this too, uh, people saying that I can't wait until the election is all over because then finally all this bickering and all this fighting would finally end. Hmm. Well, my friends, uh, I think you and I can all agree that that is not true. As a matter of fact, we're probably uh, a long ways away from it, and perhaps this could be just the beginning. And that thought alone is scary. And I never thought I'd ever say this, but for once in my life, when I'm on social media, instead of seeing all these people fighting and bickering and calling each other names, for the first time, I wish, I hope, and I long for more photos of people working out and shooting of their uh, food and their cute little babies and awkward selfies. For the first time, please bring those back. Because, hey, wow, didn't expect that one. Because what I'm seeing amongst our friends and our family is the division that breaks the heart of God. And so I'm glad that you are here tonight, regardless of who you voted for, regardless of where you stand, because all that is checked out the door as you walked in, and together, as humanity, we are, all of us, bearing both the image of God. You, both, uh, you and I both, male and female, we are uh, bearing the image of God, and that's what matters. And I'm so excited uh, to talk today. Now, we're talking about this idea of rest, uh, or the Bible calls this idea Sabbath. Uh, and, and this idea of rest is something that God has created to be part uh, of our humanity from the very beginning of time. And, and so when we talk about this idea of rest, again, I'm sure you guys are used to this, we're going to be talking about uh, rest through the lens uh, of our entire series that we've been working through. So we'll be looking at the, uh, the, the idea of rest through, through the lens of creation, disruption, hope, and culmination. But as we look at all this chaos and all this heartache and all this pain against each other, uh, we come to this question of how, in the midst of so much restlessness, where is it that we can actually find rest? How is it that we can actually come to a place of rest? And maybe you're sitting here today and, <coughs> and you... <coughs> Excuse me, maybe you're sitting here today and you feel restless from our current affairs in our country. <coughs> Perhaps restlessness came along well before last Tuesday and you're exhausted from work, from constantly trying to achieve, from this unquenchable thirst for success. Or maybe you're just exhausted from just trying to keep your head above water. Again, transcends politics, transcends last Tuesday. Or maybe you're weary because you're trying to do a perfect job of raising your children and sometimes you just feel like you've failed. Or for maintaining uh, healthy and loving relationships, you're giving it all that you can, but somehow you just fall short and you're tired. Or maybe you're doing your best and keeping up in school and, and all the pressures that comes along with that. And again, we come to this place, how can we find rest? 
Because one thing is so true for all of us is that oftentimes rest seems so far away, doesn't it? So out of reach. And oftentimes we say when it comes to rest that there's no time for rest. If I rest, then something won't get done is kind of the attitude uh, that, we, that we have. If I rest, somebody will pass me up. If I rest, then I'll fail myself. If I rest, somebody will, uh, I'll fail somebody else. If I rest, you fill in the blank with the absolute worst case scenario. Because the point is this, our society has ingrained in us that being still is being passive. That being still is being passive is the myth that we have fallen into as a culture. Not only is it being passive, <coughs> but it's being careless and, and oftentimes seen as lazy. But we'll see uh, when we get to creation right now that God actually created us to rest. As a matter of fact, God rested from the beginning of time. See, throughout Genesis 1, <coughs> when God created, <coughs> excuse me, God declared each day to be good. To be good. And so when we look at each day, uh, God created the sun, uh, and then it was good. God created the vegetation, it was good. God created the animals, and then it was good. God created the humanity, then it was good. And this whole idea of good in this Western lens, we define it as, oh, it was good, it was nice, it was pleasant. But in the Hebrew context, or the Jewish lens, this idea of good is this word tov. So it was good, it was tov. And this idea of tov doesn't just mean it was pleasant and nice, it means that it had function. And it was serving uh, its purpose and its function. And so in the Bible, when things were created and it said it was tov, it was tov not just because it was good and nice, but because it was actually functioning the, exactly the way that God intended each of those things to function. And so when rest is in that equation, when people rest, when God rests, when the, when the creation rests, that is tov. It is good because it's exactly the way God wanted it to be. And then notice when each day it was functioning that included rest. In Genesis 1, uh, verse 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31, after each of the days, <coughs> it says, <coughs> then there was evening and there was morning. Every time, after every day, it says, then there was evening and there was morning. And I want you to know that this was very intentional here. After each full day, uh, or in each full day, the day always began with the evening. And it always ended with the morning. Very counterintuitive uh, to our culture today, where we feel like when we wake up, that's the first of the day. And when we go to bed, that's the second of the day. But what do we do in the evening? <coughs> What does the evening represent? It represents rest. It represents sleep. And so the Jewish understanding is that the rest, the sleep, uh, the, the, the Sabbath is always the starting point. That's where we start, and that's what gives us the energy, the motivation, and the inspiration to pursue our journey in our daily lives. And so let's talk about this whole idea of Sabbath. So Dr. Laberton, who's a president uh, and PhD uh, at Fuller Seminary, uh, one of the best seminaries in the world. Yeah, yeah, all right. 
Thank you for that pity, Megan. Dr. Labberton says this. <clears throat> he says, uh, we as humans have the hardest time when it comes to time. There's never enough. But Sabbath is about remembering our finitude. That as humans, we were created with limitations. And so Sabbath and rest is not just something to be dreaded, but it's actually something to be embraced. To stop, to rest is not to be dreaded. It's something to be embraced. It's this understanding that we can't do it. We can't do everything. And that's actually good news because the good news is in the spaces that we can't do, God completes the story. That God is in control. That in all things, God holds thing, everything together. And that's our starting point. That's what Sabbath is all about. That's what Sabbath was created for. And that's why we enter into it. It's this space, whether it's once a week, whether it's time throughout the day, to sit back and to say, God, I'm only finite. God, you have control. God, I can do everything. Though we try, though we go, and then we achieve, and we do. And God says, relax, rest, and know that I hold all things together. <clears throat> and that's where this, the, the idea of disruption in our rest comes in. Uh, you don't have to go with me, but in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, uh, what God has created, rest, we as humanity find a way to disrupt it to mess it up. And we see an example in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says this, Then the Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Just for that day. See, God was reminding the people of Israel that in the midst of wandering, in the midst of desperation, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of not having enough, in this place of scarcity, God is saying, trust me, I'm going to provide for you. And so in that space, I'm going to rain down bread, manna, and you, are to, you only have one job. Your one job is to only take enough for that one day. That's it. See, this whole idea was terrifying to the Israelites, though. Because, again, they were living in this place of scarcity, of not having enough. So if they saw plenty of bread, of course, their natural reaction would be, well, let's, we better get a whole bunch and save so that way we have something to eat tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And God was saying, no, don't do that. You have to trust me and just take exactly what you need for that day. See, but the people didn't listen. See, they took matters in their own hands, and they gathered, gathered much more than a day's worth of food. And how did that work out? That didn't work out very well at all. That angered God. It said there were worms in the food the next day. It said it rotted. It said it had a foul smell. And it angered God and Moses. See, at the heart of the issue of these Israelites that wanted to achieve and go and keep moving and get more, especially in this place of scarcity, the heart of the issue was this lack of trust. Not only that, but their lack of trust and their need to control. 
At the heart of these Israelites was a lack of trust and their need to control. But here's where it gets interesting. In chapter 16, verse 23, uh, it says this. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is the day of the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep until the next morning. Now things are kind of different now. See, in the previous days of the week, uh, God says, only take enough of that one day. Trust me, I will provide for you. I know that you're hungry. I know that there's not enough f- f- uh, for you to eat every single day. But for right now, just trust me, take one day's worth. That's it. And, and then all of a sudden, a few verses later, Jesus, uh, God says, Moses, tell your people uh, to take double, to take enough for today and for tomorrow. Since I don't want them to work tomorrow because it is uh, the Sabbath. Now, this defied all logic because if you are an Israelite, you know exactly what's going to happen. That yes, you're going to save up all this food for today and tomorrow, but logic has it, history has shown that tomorrow the food that's left over will be taken away, will, be, will rot, will be infested with worms, will have a foul stench because that's what's been happening in the past. But it says that they obeyed and they grabbed more than they needed, just even for more than just that day. In verse 24, it says something different. After the food spoils, but when they were obedient, after taking more than just one day's share, (coughs) it says in verse 24 that the food did not spoil and that they were able to enjoy the extra uh, bread that they were able to grab. And God is saying, may this be a reminder that as you eat and as you partake, that even though you didn't work for this on this Sabbath day, I will provide for you. Even though in the past I only said to grab one day's worth and you're freaking out and you want to get more, I need you to rest and know that I will provide for you. So enter into the Sabbath is what God is saying. There's no need to work. Just stop. I know that in the past you're so busy trying to do and achieve and to gain and to to make sure that you and your family are fed. But relax. I hold all things. And the question for us tonight is where in your life do you need to let go? What do you have such a tight grip on in your life? So tight that you keep holding on, uh, believing that as long as you do all the right things, say all the right things, uh, live the right way, that things uh, will just improve and get better. What is it, that thing that you are holding on so tight? Because I know this, the tighter that you hold on, the more exhausting life becomes. Because you're going against the way that God has created you to be. And again, in the midst of this tiredness, in the midst of working, in the midst of going, the antidote that the Bible says is to Sabbath, is to rest, is to know that God is in control. It's such an upside-down way of thinking, and that's such a way that God works in God's kingdom, isn't it? I mean, we see examples of this upside-down kingdom. It says, you want to truly live? Then you must actually die to yourself. 
You want to be set free, then you must actually surrender. You want to do more and achieve more? You must actually stop. So are you working too hard? God says stop and rest. God is in control. Are you emotionally exhausted? God is saying no matter what the reason is to stop and rest and know that God is in control. Is your mind going a thousand miles an hour even sitting here in this pew right now and God is saying stop, breathe. God is in control. Are you filled with fear and uncertainty even with this election or maybe it has nothing to do with this election? God is saying stop and rest and know that I am in control. And it's in that rest that you realize that no matter what your financial situation is, no matter what your family situation is, no matter how lonely you are, no matter your marital status, no matter who is the president of our country, that God holds all things together. And even in the midst of all those circumstances, that God is the one that's in control, not the circumstances. And here we find hope in that rest. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 12, is a reminder of this, of the commandment to Sabbath. It's part of the Ten Commandments. And after uh, it, this, the commandment was written, in verse 15, it says this. It says, remember, and so here's why we Sabbath, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. See, the key word here is the word remember. See, with careful observation... Uh, you'll notice that all over Scripture, all over Scripture, that this whole idea of rest and Sabbath uh, is directly tied to this idea of remember. To remember. So anytime we see rest, we'll often see remember. To rest and remember are intertwined together all over Scripture. So that means that when we Sabbath, when we take a time out, when we rest, we take time to remember that God is in control by remembering what God has already done in your life and mine. That is what we do when we rest. That is what we do when we, when we remember. We remember the ways that God has already come through. We remember the way that God has already provided we remember that one time we were slaves and now God has set us free. We remember that. And that becomes the fuel of our life, of our journey. It's driven by gratitude. And it's about trust that God will come through again and again and again, even though it seems so far away because we remembered that God has done so for us in the past. But we have to stop and remember and reflect. A few months ago, uh, in the summertime, I went on one of my first backpacking trips uh, to Glacier National Park. And, and I went with uh, my friend Dan, who actually goes to Bethany. <coughs> and I remember being so excited because I knew I had to you know, at least try out backpacking, right? I'm, I'm now a, a, a pastor at Bethany Community Church. So it's something that I have to do for a rite of passage, right? Uh, 
Uh, I have to be a little bit REI to try to fit in to the pastoral staff here. So I'm like, I'm going to go backpacking. And, and so I was telling people that I'm going with, that I was telling people I'm going to Glacier National Park. And I was so excited. And people kept on asking me on separate occasions, oh, who are you going with? And, and I would say, I'm going with Dan. And, and these people knew Dan. And, and as excited as they were, they always, they kept asking me uh, on separate occasions, have you ever been hiking with Dan? And, and I would say, uh, no, I haven't. Why is everyone asking me that? And, and, they would, and, and their response was always the same. Because he is intense. He is intense when it comes to backpacking. And so immediately I thought, challenge accepted. And, and so finally the day came where we were packing our bags and we drive out to Glacier National Park and, and we get to the bottom of the trailhead and we're packing our bags. And I remember picking up that bag and it was like 40 pounds. And I put it on my back and the first thing I thought of was, I'm supposed to put this on my back and hike up a hill for 20 miles? And I saw Dan pick it up like it was nothing. He's done this before. So he picks it up. Uh, and I was like, so how's your pack, man? It's like, oh, yeah, it's good. It feels great. How about you? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, and then he's like, hey, I'll take the lead since I've done this before. I'm like, great. So he goes first. And I'm about a mile in. And I promise you, I'm dying. I'm sweating. I, this is my back is hurting. This is heavy. And Dan looks back. I'll never forget this. He says, hey, do you need a break? And I responded with, uh, I don't know, do you? And he said, he said no. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, I'm good too. Let's go. <coughs> and I was just in pain. And finally, about five to six miles in, uh, Dan says, hey, Prince, uh, I'm sorry to do this, but I have to stop. I have a blister on my foot. And I look at the blister, and, and it's one of those, like, you kind of throw up a little in your mouth. Like, it is disgusting. And, and I was like, man, I'm so sorry. I guess we have to rest. And, and so we sit down. I have this tension where I'm like, half, half of me is saying, dude, that really is awful. I'm so sorry. And the other half of me is like, thank goodness that we get to rest. Sorry, Dan. But something happened when we sat down uh, on that rock uh, after that six miles. See, finally, <coughs> we rested, we sat down, we ate, we talked, we looked back, and we saw how far we've, be we've come. And we were able to appreciate the incredible nature that God has put forth. And we never noticed this until we actually stopped. See, when we rested, it, it changed everything. But get this, it changed everything, though nothing changed at all. <coughs> See, we still had 15 miles to hike. Dan still had his blister. We were still living off of beef jerky and almonds. But let me tell you, our view was so sweet our legs finally got some rest. The path we covered was so gorgeous. It was so rewarding. The beef jerky and almonds never tasted so good. We were rejuvenated. We were joyful. And it was with that rest that we took to complete the rest of our journey. See, to rest and to remember changes everything, even when nothing around you changes at all. Your life circumstances may not change, 
Your finances may not change. Your relationships may not change. Who the president of this country may not change. But the one thing is that when our attitude, when our hearts change, everything changes around us. I love what happens in Psalms chapter 77. Uh, and you don't, have to, you don't have to go there. I just want to read this to you. And I want you to notice this shift from the psalmist. We don't really know what's going on right now. Uh, but it's apparent that he's going through some kind of anguish and some distress. He says, I cry out to God, aloud to God, uh, that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out uh, without weary. My soul refuses to be comfortable. I think of God and I moan and I meditate and my spirit faints. Then it says, you keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old and I remember the years of long ago. I commune with my heart in the night. I meditate and search my spirit. Will the Lord reject me forever and never again see me favorable? And then he says, in his steadfast love, God, have you seized forever? Has your promises come to an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut his compassion towards me? And I say, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Now get this in verse 11. It says, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your words of the old. I will meditate on all of your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your mighty power amongst your people. You see what happened? As we read these verses, the psalmist has this weird attitude shift. Uh, on one end, we don't know what he's going through, but it says that, it say, he says, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? God, all these things are going in all my life, and, and you've just, uh, you're just quiet. You're not responding. I'm crying out, and I'm hearing nothing. And then all of a sudden, in the same chapter, uh, the next verses, it says suddenly, uh, well, God, actually, I will remember the days of my past. I will meditate on the things that you have done. I will muse on your nature. And then it says, God, what, who is as great as our God? You are mighty. You are good. There's a shift in his attitude. His circumstances didn't change that we know of. Things, it doesn't talk about other things changing. It doesn't talk about his life getting better. But what we notice is that there's a change in his attitude through the vehicle of rest, of meditation, of to muse, and what's interesting here is that after verse, uh, after verse 3, verse 9, verse 15, we see this Hebrew word called Selah. <coughs> and Selah in this English vocabulary is undefinable. It doesn't have a proper definition. Uh, but the ancient Hebrews thought of this word Selah as like a musical notation of rest, uh, of time out. And in this space of Selah, in this sacred space of rest, something happens between you and God. 
Just like this psalmist when he was going through distress and he felt like he was going through so much anxiety that he had to do something about it. He had to work. He had to pray out loud. He enters into this special sacred space of Selah, connects with God, and suddenly, though nothing changes, everything has changed within him. Selah. See, then we see Jesus taking rest, giving it hope. And and now through Jesus, we see rest as a culmination. In in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 40, which we just read, I'll just sum it up. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them on the boat just as he was. The other boats were with him. It says, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. So just imagine that Jesus was was with his disciples. He was in this boat, and and the wind was crashing on the boat. And these disciples are are freaking out. They're like, what do we do? We have to do something. Jesus, wake up. And I love Jesus' response. I just imagine him just kind of slowly just waking up, saying, what's going on? And and disciples saying, we're going to die, Jesus. We need to do something. Help us. And Jesus' response was, oh, you of little faith, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And and oftentimes I liken ourselves to the reaction of the disciples. We are so easily uh, entered into this panic mode. We can't be still. Our society, we're awful at being still. So we default into control mode and we go and we go and we go and we work and we work and we work and we don't stop because we have believed in this myth that as we go and go that things will get better when the fact is that God calls us to do the very opposite and to actually stop and rest and remember who God is in your life. When I moved to California, I'm from here, I moved to California several years ago for grad school. And I remember when I went to California, I wanted to do two things. Two things was on my bucket list as as a California resident. One was to learn how to surf, and and second was to be on The Price is Right. Uh, And I ended up doing both. And, but the, the first day that I went surfing with a buddy of mine who was kind of an expert surfer, he knew what he was doing. And right before we get into the water, he says, Prentice, I need you to learn, I need you to know one thing as you go, before you go into the water. And I said, what's that? And he said, when the wave swallows you up, because it will, you need to, as you're under the water, you have to relax your body. And you can't panic. You have to relax your body, be still, and let the water take you up. I said, okay, got it. Where's the surfboard at? Uh, And so we get on the surfboard, and I'm going, and I'm finally, you know, trying to catch some waves. And it happened. I got swallowed up by a huge wave. And everything that my friend told me about what to do when this happened just kind of went out the window. Uh, And so what did I do as soon as I got swallowed up? Immediately, I freaked out. I panicked. I had a major anxiety attack. I wasn't still. The first thing I did was I started swimming. I was swimming, trying to get out. I was running out of breath, and I was going, and I was moving, and I was working, and I thought I was close. At the end of it, my hand hit the bottom of the surface. Now, I wasn't at the top. I was at the bottom of the surface, the very opposite direction of where I wanted to go. 
And so I finally kicked off the ground, and I was running out of breath, and I eventually made it to the top service. But what my friend was trying to tell me was this, that when you get swallowed up by a wave, it's like a spin cycle in a washing machine. You get dizzy. You have no idea which way is up. That's why you have to relax, let gravity let you float, take up. And once you understand and see which way you're floating, that is when you rest. That is when you swim. And so many times, we do what I did. We always think that the first thing we have to do is work and go and do something and achieve. <clears throat> and the sad part is we become exhausted and we hit the bottom of the surface. And God calls us to rest. Seeing the foundation of this rest it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But the vehicle is through solitude and through community. The foundation of this rest is in Christ and the vehicle is through solitude and community. It's both ends. And I love this promise that Jesus has for us in Matthew. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Where do you find your rest? And I don't mean just where do you kick off your shoes and, and just take a nap. Although again, uh, that is part of it as well. Uh, but what I mean is, where is that space that you connect with God? That space where you can say, uh, I can't do it all. That space that reminds you that you are no longer in control. That space where uh, you understand that human in human life, there's finitude. And that God holds all things. Maybe uh, it's by seeing the honest of nature on going on hikes, in trails, in beaches, in oceans. Or maybe it's through music. You're an artist. You connect with God, and you know that God is so much bigger than ourselves through the beauty of painting and drawing and music. Maybe it's through uh, sports and it's through your body. Whatever it is, find that space where you can step back, rest, and know that God is much bigger than who we are. And if you're anything like me, maybe that place is over a delicious cup of coffee. And we, re we find rest not only in that solitude, but with other people around us, by praying with and for one another, by singing together, by gathering together as a, as a church. We rest and we remember. And it's through that remembering of what God has done in our lives that informs us on how to live with each other, not just with the people that we know and love, but informs us on how to pursue justice, how to pursue love, how to pursue compassion towards those around us, even, dare I say, those that have voted differently than you and I. Those are the people, again, that we are to love, to show compassion towards, to be connected with. It informs us on how, to, how we treat the poor, the homeless, those that uh, are suffering in the form of trafficking, racial reconciliation. In our time of rest, we remember what God has done, and that informs us how we should respond as agents of God's grace in, this in our future and our lives.
And I love what Pastor Richard, he posted this Dietrich Bonhoeffer for, uh, a quote just the other day. And I love it. I think it's so relevant to us uh, today. Uh, Bonhoeffer says this, nothing that we despise in other men is inherently absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in the light of, of what they do or don't do, or my, may I say, voted for, and more in the light of what they suffer. That's beautiful. And in our time of rest, we remember what God has done and in our time of rest, that should inform us on how we should love, pursue justice, and pursue others, even those that are so different from our own, as we have seen in the last week. So this week, I'll just end with this. This week, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, again, whether this has everything to do with this election, whether it has nothing to do with election. Just know that God calls us, has created us to enter into the sacred space of Sabbath, of rest, because there we understand that we aren't in control. Yet that is actually good news that is to be embraced because whatever that is, God has control of it. And it has everything to do with what God uh, has done through the person of Jesus Christ. Here we see at the communion table. So right now I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage as we enter into this time of communion. It says, on that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he, he broke it. And he says, take this. In remembrance of me, this is my body that was broken for you. And so again, in the midst of your messiness, in your chaos, uh, in your restlessness, it is through my broken body that you can find rest. I give you rest. And then he says, here's my cup. Drink of it in remembrance of me. This is my blood that was shed on your behalf. And so together as a community, we remember the work of God and what God has done for you and for me. And this time of communion is accepting this time of, of rest. And so maybe uh, tonight is your first time of rest you've had in weeks. And so I just want to encourage you right now, before you even come to partake in communion, that you just close your eyes and you just take a breath and you just breathe and you just rest. You rest and you remember all the ways that God has come through for you. Because through that, that changes our attitude, that changes everything around us, that brings us joy and gratitude. And it's with that posture may we receive God's body, the, the body of Jesus and the blood. And, and so the way we do it here is that we come counterclockwise. Uh, you grab uh, the cracker and, and the juice you come back around to your seat. Uh, if you need gluten-free, we have that in the blue basket. But may this time be a true time of rest, even if it's just for a couple minutes. God holds all things. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that in the midst of restlessness in our lives, for whatever reason, whether it is because of Tuesday or something that happened far uh, before Tuesday, 
when we are entering into this place of restlessness, that through you, we can find peace. Thank you for your work on the cross. And it's because of that, we can come to you just as we are, with everything we have, knowing that you replace it with your yoke for your burden in this life. In your name we pray, amen. Come when you're ready.